she was thinking like, you know, how dare, how can this guy ask me to cook for him when he's been out philandering all night long? So she took some hot peppers from her garden and made his chicken, his fried chicken, very spicy with a cayenne pepper flavor with the intention to cause some pain. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. All right, so this is, this is a weird week. Uh, Jared Leonard, uh, Rubs Back Country Smokehouse, is my guest. He's sitting shotgun. I actually came into your barbecue supply joint and watched you make Nashville hot chicken for tonight's episode. You sure did. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited to share our, our new creation or our new, new adventure with you, this hot chicken. Uh, so let's backtrack. You are Jared Leonard. Rubsback Country Smokehouse, a, a pillar in the Chicago barbecue community. That's very nice of you. A couple doors down, you just opened this supply house, and it's like a training center, right? Yeah, this is like our secret laboratory. So, um, I mean, not secret because we have public classes and dinners over here. But um, this is where we have a smoker and a pizza oven and fryers. And, you know, it gives us a chance to have a little playground. Uh, and then we bring people in here to teach them about what we do so that they can um, aspire to to have their own creative cooking at home. The space is extraordinary, and the reason why we're eating Nashville hot tonight is because next up in the Jared group uh, restaurant, the Jared group empire diamond, diamond shop. Sorry, I, my my brain just stopped functioning for a second. The, the Jared Empire, uh, you're opening up a restaurant in Lincoln Square on Western Avenue called the Budlong, the centerpiece of which will be Nashville hot. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I went to a, a barbecue conference in Nashville and had this style of fried chicken there that just blew my socks off in, in more ways than one with its flavor and heat level and just cool history and story behind, you know, wh- where the dish came from. And there's just, you know, for me, food is like 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 three or four different parts. And only a, I mean, a, a decent part of that is the flavor of the food, but so much of what what I like to eat and what I like to cook is the story and the culture and the why it is the way it is side of, of, of food. So let's let's go down that road because I had never heard of Nashville Hot Chicken until I met you. And ever since you first introduced me to it, I'm starting to hear more about it. You were you were on the leading edge. Like you figured this out before a lot of people. This is a thing and this is something that shouldn't be landlocked in Tennessee. Tell me the story because it's a fascinating story where Nashville hot chicken came from. Yeah, so there's a, a a guy named Thornton Prince who had a chicken shack in Nashville, and I've poked around a little bit, and from what I can tell, it was, it was just had a generic name like like the Nashville Chicken Shack or something, and someone may have a, a you know the full story for me, but it was just a generic chicken place serving fried chicken. This is like 75 years ago. And Thornton Prince was out partying one night. He was kind of a man about town, liked to go out, and he was well-known with the ladies. And he came <laughs> home on a Sunday morning, like 6, 7 in the morning after being out all night. And his girlfriend at the time was waiting up for him or had just gotten up and you know was welcoming, well, welcoming him home, we'll say. And he wanted some fried chicken. And I guess it was a Sunday tradition in their house to have fried chicken breakfast. And so she was thinking, like, you know, how dare, how can this guy ask me to cook for him when he's been out philandering all night long? 
So she took some hot peppers from her garden and made his chicken, his fried chicken, very spicy with a cayenne pepper flavor with the intention to cause some pain or displeasure or what have you. And it totally backfired on her. And he was like, this is the best fried chicken I've ever had. That would you do to it? I want to serve this in my restaurant. And hot chicken was born. And, uh, you know, that business has changed hands three or four generations. And now it is called Prince's Hot Chicken Shack. What a great story. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's even, just hilarious. Even if it's apocryphal, even if a lot of it isn't true, I love sure. that story. Yeah. Some of the best stories aren't true. That's, so you, That's not the point, right? So you were inspired by the food, by the story, by everything about it to bring this to Chicago, put it in this restaurant that is opening when? Springtime. Okay-ish. Springtime-ish. Springtime-ish. Yeah. The Bud Long. I've seen the facade. It looks really cool. Yeah, we put a sign up. It's, uh, we, you know, we're rehabbing a very old building and we've done everything down to the new sewer lines all the way under. We had to dig out the basement and replace the sewer lines. I mean, there was oh no there was no HVAC system, heating or cooling or electric uh, grid or anything. Nothing's been in this space for 30 or 40 years. This is the glamorous side of being a restaurateur. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's... I always told people that asked my advice about opening a restaurant, there were a couple of rules that I followed. I said, don't borrow any money. Don't take on a bunch of business partners for your first restaurant. And don't go into a space that hasn't been a restaurant before. There are so <laughs> many spaces out there that have even the smallest amount of infrastructure that will get you further, faster, and, and save you a ton of money and headaches. You know, even if there's just a simple exhaust hood, even if it was a jewelry store that was a restaurant, you know, four businesses ago, if it has ever been a restaurant, it's licensed and zoned and, and, you know, allowed for that use in the city of Chicago. But when you take a space that was never a restaurant, there are things I, I filled out an environmental survey review like two weeks ago. And they sent me this request, and I, what's an environmental survey review? You know, and it's apparently it's something that's been around since the 50s. <laughs> and every restaurant's supposed to have it, and it's just you declaring, um, you know, the type of, of exhaust fumes that you're putting out into the atmosphere, whether it be from a wood fire or a gas grill or a fryer. You're supposed to give the specifics of your, uh, you know, equipment and what you're cooking, and and it's really just a technicality. It's not like for their review and approval or disapproval. It's just a technicality. But again, it was like a, a week and a half delay because this environmental review wasn't part of our submittal, uh, you know, and one, one of the steps we were going through. And yes, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that, that like taking a space from nothing to a restaurant is a lot harder than taking it from an ice cream shop to fine dining or steakhouse. You know, it's... It, I bet. So. so, all right. So you've been working on your Nashville hot recipe for a while. You've perfected it and you're unveiling it for me tonight. Yes. I watched you prepare the chicken. I watched you fry it. I watched you add the uh, the cayenne mixture, the proprietary blend of spices that make it hot. Right, right. I've been drooling the entire time. My stomach's been making noise. And so what you did was you, you got the chicken together. You put on pickles that you make. Right. Put them on a brioche bun and... Mm -hmm. Served them up on blue plates. This is the first time we actually have plates you put in a dishwasher in this car. I want to eat this. Can All right. We, can we, yeah, let's, let's dig in. Let's so what, what should I be, as I bite in, what, what should I be, what should my tongue be searching for here? What Deliciousness. Okay. I could do that. These are giant, giant pieces of chicken. These are thighs, right? Mm-hmm. The breading's nice and crispy. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> starts very smooth, very yeah, flavorful. Say, mine's not that spicy. But as soon as you stop eating, oh man, that's when your tongue starts to dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I lo- I love heat, but there's got to be flavor there. Yeah, you know, if it's so hot on the front of your tongue, like so. Here's the thing about Nashville hot, and one of the things that makes it so great, it's not just spicy. It has flavor depth to it. It has mm-hmm. a nice balance to it. So, like, you know, I've seen incarnations of said hot chicken that aren't Nashville hot chicken. They are covered in habanero peppers or ghost peppers. And, you know, I, I hate to tell you, kids, but that's not hot chicken. You're serving spicy chicken. It's different. Hot chicken has this cayenne pepper heat. So it's not meant to burn off your face. It's not meant to, to hurt your tongue. And you're supposed to taste, like... I was four or five bites in before I had any spice. Uh-huh. And not, not bites, chews. You know, uh-huh. I took two, a bite and then a second bite. And I was chewing on it. And it's funny because I've made this a hundred times now. And every time I'm like, oh, I didn't make it hot enough. <laughs> and then I keep chewing. And then I sit for a minute. And I say, oh, no, no, that's hot. Okay, yeah. That's nice. But then it makes you take another bite. Because if you just sit there with the heat in your mouth, it just kind of makes you sweat. But you take another bite and you get some more flavor. And it, it just keeps going round and round. I've had spicy food before, spicy meals, entrees. I've taken the first couple bites and thought, how am I going to finish this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm committed. I, I know I need to eat this, but I don't know if I necessarily want to finish it. Right. This is exciting. Like, there's something kind of exciting about eating this sandwich. You know, I when, when we're, like, working long days in the kitchen, we'll eat this because when coffee and Red Bull and five-hour energy that lasts for seven minutes, <laughs> uh, when that's all done, hot chicken will get you going, man. Like, your endorphins... Just like start dancing around and oh, yeah, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Right, let's, let's road yeah, trip. Let's party, man. Road trip. Let's we were just talking about concerts. Let's go see a show. Yeah, in <laughs> Milwaukee right now. Here uh-huh. we go. Can I have some of your napkins? Oh, they're all up there. Oh, they're right up there. There are napkins. Yeah, that, uh, I got it. Yeah, this is creeping up on yep. you. Yep, nose is running. I actually Tears started out. I, I swear, like I said, I've made this a hundred times, and I started out thinking, man, for the show, I didn't make it hot enough. But yeah, it's hot. No, you're, you're right there. Yeah, but not again. That doesn't. Oh. I'm committed. I'm in it. Right, right. And the brioche. The bun's nice, isn't it? The, oh, the, the brioche makes it. I mean, so, it, it, it's a nice balance. It soaks it up. Right. And, and here's, this is a little less traditional, because traditional Nashville hot, I'm sure you saw when you were there at Hattie B's in Nashville, is served on white bread, right? Uh-huh. But come on, man. You can't argue with the results. This is way better. I love than, the brioche. Than eating it out on white bread. This oh, is, man. This is just better. Whew. My hands are covered. And sweet deliciousness. You have this cool thing in this space, in the supply shop, um, like a converted kegerator, refrigerator. It looks like made out of Cadillac parts. And Yeah, yeah, What is that? So that's my man over at Candy Van, Peter Gammon. And he does custom pinstriping. And, um, uh, you know, I think he does – oh, he just built a food truck. Like he does a lot of custom paint job, paint work, graphics, that kind of stuff. Like a modern-day Von Dutch, if you know who that is. Yeah. So I just realized, you're talking about eating your sandwich. You have you barely... Oh, oh no, no, get the other side. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're working both ends. I brought two. You just didn't see me eat the first one. Love the pickles on here. That seems essential. Mm-hmm. My tongue is dancing. I'm in tears. Someone's going to walk by this garage. We're parked inside Jared's garage, <laughs> which is right next to the deep fryer. Someone's going to walk by and think we're having, like, a fight. Like... Like Jared said something that hurt yeah, my yeah. feelings. Yeah. 
So I'm bawling in here. So we're sweating and crying and nodding <laughs> our heads and. Yeah, but this is manly. Uh, I'm looking at like sawhorses and welders. welding equipment. <laughs> we're we're eating hot chicken. You've got a PBR. This is a manly night right here. It really is. This, you know? this is perhaps the most macho night I've had. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you how long. Well, so just to just to give the visual a full you know scope of understanding to the listeners. So in the back of the barbecue supply shop, we've got our barbecue welding shop or our you know just our workshop. So. I've got, you know, my my tool bench and my with my bench vices and my sawhorses and my you know, my miter saw and my welding table and, you know, just all my tools and all my stuff cuz you have to build and fix and create things to be in uh an entrepreneur, but especially in the food business. Um and then, you know, it's it's also funny cuz we have our fryer. Excuse me, we have a fryer that we set up. It's going to be in the Budlong when we open, but we're like, hey, you know what? In the meantime, let's put it in the in the back shop in the supply. I used to fry turkeys in my garage, so let's fry some chicken in supply shop. So we uh, we have our fryer hooked up, and so yeah, I was uh, as you were planning or as you know, I was thinking about tonight. I thought, how cool would that be <laughs> if you just park your car right in the shop? We cook some hot chicken in the fryer next to your car, uh-huh. and we sit in the car inside the shop eating hot chicken, in, basically in the restaurant. This is how I want every dining experience of my life to be <laughs> moving forward. I'm not going to settle for – this is better than a table in the kitchen. Right? This is – The car know, in the garage. It, it's funny because that's the comparison, and that's the analogy that I use for my barbecue classes is like, you know, it's like sitting at the chef's table or going to Alinea, but it's with simple comfort food. Yeah. And, you know – the reason that the those kind of experiences excite you is because you see behind the scenes and you get involved and their passion is now your passion, even if only for those couple hours, even if you never go and you know fry your own chicken or make your own barbecue or whatever, seeing how it's done just makes you love it that much more. I totally agree. Now, talking about teaching classes, I came in, you started making the, the chicken. And I swear to God, you gave me the history of chicken. Like you, you rattle this stuff off in such a, a kind, approachable, educational way. Like if you weren't a restaurateur, education would have made sense for you because you, you seem to like explaining and sharing knowledge. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I never considered doing it for a career. But when I started teaching the classes, it was something I'd never done before. And I really, really enjoy it. And part of that enjoyment is is um, a little self-oriented where I, I love that I get to learn every time I teach. And I I think that's an age-old adage, right, that the best way to learn anything is to teach it. Yep. You know, or what I tell people is, you know, learn enough that you know more than most other people and then start teaching it. And that's been a lot of fun for me because, you know, it, talking about what you're doing and explaining it to other people and seeing them get excited, like the first time that you learned about it and got excited, there's this connection of like, wow, you know, I'm not just crazy, and other people think this is cool, too. There's just a connection. Totally. So when did you start teaching barbecue classes? 2011. We had our first barbecue class. Uh, we opened the restaurant when my daughter was two months old. Then when my Oh, that, that's great. Right? You didn't have anything going on then. <laughs> no. Good timing. We, we, we moved, opened a restaurant, had a baby, and got married all within like five months. Yeah. It was a busy year. Oh, my God. Yeah, and we're still married. Love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next year, we were running out of space in the restaurant. We needed to take another space. We needed to get a bigger smoker. So we built out this pit room. 
but it wasn't connected to the original restaurant. So we thought, you know, what else can we do in here? How can we utilize this space to, to justify having it? So uh, on the eve that my son was due to be born, I had scheduled a barbecue class. Not, you know, not realizing that wasn't a great idea. So like a month out, my wife was like, no, you can't have a barbecue class the night we're, give, we're having our son. Long story short, we obviously rescheduled it, but we always yep. joke that, that, you know, every time we're having, every time we're opening a new space, we're going to have another child. And um, we haven't kept up with that on number three, but we're, we're looking into a, a, getting some more babies in the family. So we'll see how where that goes. Do people ever contact you after they take your class? Like, hey, because of your class, I bought a pork shoulder and... Did something magnificent with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Probably the coolest story was this couple who came to my class, and about, I guess, a year later, year and a half, a couple years later, whatever, I get this email, and they're like, hey, we loved your class. We bought a smoker after your barbecue class, and we've been cooking barbecue ever since, and my husband is Parisian, and we've now moved back to Paris, and we are opening one of Paris's first barbecue restaurants. How about that? As a result of coming to my class. Now, she was from Texas. And as a Texan, she grew up with barbecue. She met, she, she met her husband, uh, a, a man from Paris, when they were both attending the same graduate school here in Chicago. Uh, she hadn't really shared her barbecue background with him because I don't know that she was necessarily like a barbecue girl, but she grew up in Texas, so she was familiar with it, right? Yeah. So when we came to class, uh, this is how she told the story to me. Um, she was like, he was blown away, like, wow, I've never, I, in Paris, we don't have this, we don't have barbecue. And she was like, oh, I grew up with this. And he was kind of like, what have you been hiding from me? Right. This is fantastic. Why, you know. I'm going to roll down the windows roll down here. the windows. Get a little warm. Hot chicken car. Uh-huh. So anyways, um, he was like, this is this is fantastic. And they bought a smoker, a little Weber Smoky Mountain, and they started cooking barbecue. And uh, yeah, they moved back to Paris. The last I heard, I think they're open now. But they had come back to Chicago to visit some family or friends or something. And they came in and spent an afternoon with me learning more about what I did and timing and, you know, really understanding barbecue from the perspective of like, hey, we're going to open a restaurant now. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Instead of just like, hey, we're going to cook a pork shoulder. So um, because I'm guessing and not to take you too far off track, but the timing of preparing the food has got to be kind of a challenge, like syncing up the how long it takes to cook something. To when it has to be ready for service. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, that's a big challenge, and it's especially hard because you know I don't care. Most most restaurants, when you open, you don't have any money, and even if you were funded well, you know you don't have money to spare when you first open. Food costs is very very important. That's the fastest way. That's your enemy in the restaurant is 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 a high food cost and waste, right? So. In the beginning, you're you're faced with this dilemma of okay, we didn't we don't have 300 customers today. We made food for 300 people. What do we do with the, all the all the leftover barbecue? So, you know, in the beginning, that's the challenge. And uh, Aaron Franklin, who's got uh, arguably one of the most popular barbecue restaurants in the world in terms of supply and demand balance, uh, doesn't serve the most people, but probably supply and demand. He's the most in demand. People wait in line for like. Six hours to eat his food. And which restaurant is this? Uh, Franklin's Barbecue in Austin, Texas. So one of the things – I just read his book and one of the things that he says in his book is that in the early days, they would throw out a lot of of, – maybe he didn't say a lot, but they would throw out briskets. Or one day he says he burned all the briskets and he gave them away for free just because people had been waiting in line. So he was very much – 
very adamant about I'm only serving, you know, the perfect briskets and I'm only making, you know, so many when they're gone, they're gone. And and, and, he, and it worked out great for him. Um, other restaurants, if you do that and you're throwing away $100 pieces of meat, if you don't have the lines to justify it the next day as a result of your dedication to your food, um, you may have your, I don't know, your you may go out on a moral high, but I don't, it's not a great way to make money. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's a tough balance. It's, you really have to know how to use your leftovers. If you have any, like we chop ours up and put them into the baked beans. Um, Did you figure that out right from the beginning when you started the business? Not really. I mean, we sort of did, but we also just didn't make a lot of food each day because we didn't want to have to throw out extra food, but that would mean you would run out early in the day and people that don't understand the 16 hours that go into smoking a brisket would come in maybe on a Friday night, order a brisket sandwich at 7 o'clock, and they were told that, hey, we're out of brisket. And then they go on Yelp and they say, what kind of barbecue restaurant runs out of brisket on Friday night at 7 o'clock during the busiest hour? And, well, you know, one that has good brisket and only made enough for people <laughs> who got there before 7. But it's it's really hard to to translate or to explain that message on the fly without sounding defensive or yeah. offensive or whatever, what, what what have you. So yes, the, the timing, like when we smoke a brisket for 16 hours, it's not like we time it to be done the minute someone orders it. Barbecue food actually does hold very well if you know how to hold it, but you don't want to reheat it. You want to cook enough for each day and sell it while it's hot and sell it till it's gone. Yeah. I've never had a dry brisket here. I mean, it's always juicy and tender and yeah. Super delicious. That's a lot of trial and error. I can't say it was always that way, uh, but we've we've really nailed it. I think after brisket like one thousand, I think you really get it. And what, what, as I'm listening to you, I'm always fascinated. We've talked about this before on the radio, but I'm always fascinated by the entrepreneurial drive and spirit. You said a couple things that I think work for restaurants. I think they work for business. Period. Don't borrow if you don't have to. Right. It's all about. It really is all about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, restrict the amount of partners you have. Yep. I mean, you need to figure out how to make a lot with very little. Yeah. And and you have to know that there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. There's not – you need to look inside yourself and know what do I want from this? What can I give to this? And what's our end goal? You know, and if if your end goal is to be rich or famous or any of the other superficial goals, you are in the wrong business. Go – I don't know, get better at baseball, learn to rap, learn to have, get it, what, sell crack or have a good jump shot. Isn't that what Biggie said? <laughs> yeah. But you're right. And I, I've always felt that about broadcasting. When I when I started, I never went went into it to be famous. Right. And good news, it hasn't happened yet. So that worked out. You're famous in my book. Thank you. Um, but I did it because it was something I really enjoyed. And it goes back to that old adage that if you do what you love, everything else will fall into place. And I actually like the way you said that because some people will say, if you're doing what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's actually not true at oh, all. No, I, I'm, I'm, looking at this, I'm looking at this workshop of Jared's. I mean, there is equipment and gear and uh, ovens. And I mean, you are, this is a laboratory. You're constantly working on bettering what you do, furthering what you do. And you don't work short. You don't clock in for you know five or six hour days. This is this is all consuming. Well, and it's in it, but it's also about having a balance. I, I very well know that I could get here at seven in the morning and stay here till nine at night every single day, and there would be something to do, and the business would be better for it. However, I would be miserable because I don't have, I wouldn't have the balance of family. And you know, I was just telling my wife this last night because we were talking about some of this, just like you know, journey we've been on. 
that like for me, I was raised by a very strong family oriented family, every meal together, every night. Um, you know, my mom loved us. Like she just loved us. And, and that's really, I mean, that's ingrained and in, in, it's in me. So if I didn't have that side for me, again, just speaking about me personally, not every entrepreneur, but for me, if I didn't have that, you know, I think I would have always felt kind of empty. So you got to have that balance of like, Hey, today I do have to work for 12 hours, but tomorrow I'm going to take the day off. And then on Saturday, we're going to go on a road trip. And then, you know, when I get home tonight and I'm tired, I'm still going to be nice. And I'm not just going to say, Hey, leave me alone. I'm tired. I'm going to interact with my family like a regular person that, you know, is dedicated to his family. So yeah, very important to have a balance in all of that. Otherwise, what's the point? And we should talk barbecue real quick. Rubsback Country Smokehouse, one of the coolest restaurants to hang out in in the city. Just the cool vibe, kick-ass food. I love hanging out there. Like, it's hard to get up from your table because it's very comfortable and relaxed. It got the cool music playing on the uh, turntable. I love going there. Yeah, it's nice. It's a very, you know, I would say it's it's family-friendly um, and, and just comfortable. It makes you feel like you're kind of... At your, I don't know, like at home because everything's like the furniture is handmade and the the decor is homey and the food is homey and the people are nice. So yeah, we've really enjoyed being that for people. You know, a lot of people consider us like a place they can go and relax and enjoy their meal and it's not, you know, they're not rushed and they're not, you know, it's comfortable. All right. So Budlong will open this spring. Yes-ish. If people, <laughs> if people want to learn from you, uh, have lessons imparted uh, right in front of the smoker. How do they sign up for a class? You know, I used to, you can go to our website, <coughs> backcountryq.com, but a very, a much better uh, source of information, and there's a link to this from our website, but we love social media. Yeah. I am unapologetic uh, about my, my love for sharing information via Facebook and uh, most commonly Facebook, but um, Instagram and Twitter a little bit too. So if you look up Rubs Backcountry Smokehouse on Facebook, uh, we announce when we have our classes. Uh, we also have these new Friday night dinners called Pit to Plate Dinners that are in the barbecue supply shop where we're doing off-menu stuff like I saw the menu. And, oh, my God. Yeah. That looks fantastic. Yeah, we, we served microgreens the last two weeks in our restaurant, which was funny because uh, – and one of my Facebook posts, I referred to them as the cutest little microgreens. And <laughs> one of my friends said, is that a typo? Did you mean to write cutest? And I said, no, isn't that the point of mini greens, yeah. microgreens, is that they're just so damn cute? Um, but we get, we get to be a little more chefy in the, the barbecue pit-to-plate dinners. Not stuffy, but, you know, stuff that we wouldn't do in the restaurant, like the smoked chicken and dumplings soup with, oh, the, with the microgreens and the... Big giant beef ribs and uh, house smoked pastrami, which, by the way, house house smoked pastrami will be on the menu down at the Budlong. I love a good pastrami. And this, have you, have you ever been to like Cats in New York? No. So there's a, a deli community in New York that, that we don't really have here in Chicago, and in some of them, not all of them, but but some of them are like smoking the meats in in house and slicing them by hand where a lot of the deli meats that we get are made in New York or or elsewhere and then they're vacuum sealed and they're shipped to the deli and some are better than others and some people keep them fresher than others and there's different levels of quality but like the best pastrami is smoked fresh and then the way that I serve it is I don't cool it down I I take it out of the smoker and we hand slice it like a brisket 
Because it is the brisket. It's the same kind of I meat. just had a sandwich and I want to eat more. Yeah, hand-sliced pastrami. Uh, on, you could put it on a nice rye bread, you know, and uh, we don't have a source for that yet, but there's a number of great bake- bakeries. Baker Miller just brought a, a guy in from New York uh, from a place called Scratch Bread, and they're really amping up their bread game, so they might make our rye bread. You don't know. They're, they're right across the street from the Budlong. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, have smoked pastrami over at the Budlong, and it's – all good things. I love it. Jared Leonard, thank you for whipping up a couple of Nashville hots. Sure. In I, my garage. I, I tease, truly, I, I tease of what's to come uh, from the Bud Long. And just hanging out. I, I love hanging out with you, dude. Lots of fun. I'm going to finish my sandwich. I talk a lot, so I didn't get to eat my whole sandwich. So now I'm going to go back to eating my sandwich. It is Carcone Carne. Uh, if you like what you heard, if you tolerate what you heard, if you kind of enjoyed what you heard, please tell a friend. CarconeCarne.com, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. On Stitcher, on Twitter, at Carcone Carne. Uh, Really exciting guests in the weeks to come. Uh, Hope to have you back here. Thanks for listening.